0: I want to give hope because I was without hope and I had no plan. So I want people to know that they don't have to live this miserable life. There is a better life out there and there is hope.
1: Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear from Dr. Gupta, who is an expert in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. He's going to share what the mito thyroid connection is, and we'll get into tips for thyroid and adrenal health. Let's get started. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast. Today I have Dr. Anshul Gupta. He is a board certified family medicine physician with advanced certification in functional medicine, peptide therapy, and also fellowship trained in integrative medicine. He has worked at the prestigious Cleveland Clinic Department of Functional Medicine as a staff physician along Dr. Mark Hyman, and he now specializes in treating Hashimoto's disease to help people reverse their unresolved symptoms of thyroid dysfunction. Conventional medicine doesn't have all the answers for a vast majority of patients suffering from Hashimoto's, and that's where functional medicine model can be very helpful. Dr. Gupta makes personalized functional medicine plans for people with Hashimoto's to end fatigue, reduce brain fog, and lose weight substantially. Through his three-step process, he not only heals the thyroid but also rejuvenates mitochondria to help females with Hashimoto's to live their life to the fullest. So welcome, Dr. Gupta. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me on the show. Well, tell me your story. Tell me about yourself and how you got interested in functional medicine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You no, know, um, I always like, have this joke around uh, you know, uh, with all my colleagues is that each of us you know, who, you, who venture out into functional medicine has a story behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar to that, you know, I have my story. So my story starts with, you know, after my residency of family medicine, I started working in rural Virginia in a busy uh, traditional practice. I was just 32 at the time. You know, I was working hard at the time. I started having some health issues. So I started having this stomach pain, which was very, very excruciating and I had no apparent reason for it. Um, then I started gaining weight along with it. And I was, ha- I was feeling much more fatigued than, you know, I've ever felt you know, in my life. And then I was having some brain fog issues. Again, I could not put all these things together. The major complaint was the stomach pain because that was bothering my life like everyday basis. So being a physician, I thought I would kind treat myself. So I started doing it. So I started taking some medications, but it was not helping. I kind of added more medications to see if that would do the trick. Uh, but that was not working either. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm not smart enough. I need some <laughs> doctors to kind of get on board. So I spoke with my colleagues, you know, who are like specialists, GI specialists and stuff. So one by one, actually, I saw so many different specialists and nobody had an answer. You know, they literally did each and every investigation that you can think about. You know, they scoped me from top to bottom. They kind of scanned me. They did CAT scans, ultrasound, allergy testing, everything. And nobody could figure out why I was having this stomach pain. And I was like, really? I'm just 32 and nobody can fix me? That is not done. And like after a while, actually, it was not funny anymore. It was getting depressing because, you know, I was getting this stomach pain, which was affecting my quality of life. And it was so sudden that in the middle of like my work, like seeing patients, this pain will hit me suddenly. Mm. And, you know, I didn't knew what to do. So it was very, very frustrating, you know, I started losing hope, you know, like, I was like, okay, I don't know, is this the way I'm going to live the rest of my life? Right. And when I spoke with my other colleagues, and they said, well, maybe you just have to take these medicines, and they will eventually work for you. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm taking four medications, and you're telling me eventually they will work for me? i was like, that is not satisfactory. So I was like, don't know what to do. So then, you know, obviously you start looking around. So then, you know, somebody suggested functional medicine and I started looking into it. So then they have different modules and I started kind of training myself in one of the GI modules they have. And then after the training, I started implementing it. And you will not imagine within one month, my pain was gone. In six months time, I was off all the medications. You know, I had never had any pain and I was down 40 pounds. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's amazing to hear, right? But it's also depressing that it took you how long, how many doctors getting scoped from head to toe, how many medications, and then you, and who knows how much all that cost? <laughs> and then you on your own finding essentially your path to healing. So it's exciting, but it's also actually depressing that <laughs> that conventional medicine doesn't have those answers that so many patients are not well served until they find functional medicine.
0: Exactly. And that was like, you know, like why should, I not be doing about these things, you know, like, you know, if we have like an alternative way of helping, you know, patients out or helping me out and, you know, like nobody's even talking about it. So that was, as you said, you know, just so kind of annoying at times that, you know, why should we not talk about it, but also happy at the same time that I can help out like people like me now.
1: Right, right. That's the silver lining. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like with your personal story, you had a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms, which actually can relate to Hashimoto's. And I know that's something you specialize in. So at what point did you get interested in Hashimoto's and, and treating those clients?
0: So then, you know, like I, when I went into working for a functional medicine clinic uh, in, the, in the Cleveland Clinic Center. Yeah. So then I started looking like uh, different kinds of patients and a majority of a lot of those clients were like Hashimoto's. And I started finding some similarities, you know, which what I went through in Hashimoto's. So they were all having gut issues. You know, they were all having like fatigue issues. They were all having difficult time in losing weight. And they were all having brain fog issues. And the worst was that they were all losing hope.
1: Yeah.
0: They have seen all these specialists, like endocrine specialists and family doctors and their PCPs. And they will all say that, well, you know, your numbers look good. You know, you're taking the right medication. Maybe this is a way you probably will have to live the rest of your life. And again, these are like females and like middle-aged females in the prime of their life. And they were yeah. like, I cannot live this way the rest of my life.
1: Absolutely. I, I all the time, every single day, <laughs> see patients who come to my office who say, um, well, either they haven't had their antibodies tested or they have, but their doctor says there's nothing we can do about it. So basically just keep on taking the medication or some of them aren't even on medication, but they're told there's nothing that we can do. And so they're kind of in my office as a last hope because they don't know, they don't know what else to do, but they know something's not right. <laughs> and they know that help, help should be out there. They're just looking for it.
0: Exactly. So I started digging deep into the research part of it because, you know, I'm kind of more like an academic person. So I started looking in research side of it. What does it say? So then, you know, like there was a lot more research about it, like, you know, how we are misunderstanding Hashimoto's and, you know, what are the other things that we can do to help out with it? And I started developing a protocol, you know, over there to help, you know, these clients. And then I started implementing it and saw phenomenal results. You know, uh, patients were, you know, getting their brain fog was gone. Their fatigue was so much better. They were like losing weight. And most of all, you know, like they were feeling much better and they were living their life to the fullest now. So that was the most, you know, like rewarding part of it.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, I want to know what that protocol is, but I think we should rewind a bit because we should define Hashimoto's. So first let's define it. What What is Hashimoto's?
0: Yeah, absolutely. A, you know, like an important question. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid condition. So in that situation, what happens is that, you know, our body starts producing antibodies against our own thyroid gland. So like over the course of time, these antibodies starts destroying our thyroid gland And which ultimately leads to what you call as hypothyroidism and then you know like that's the time that you know most of the Hashimoto's patients are diagnosed when they check you know their thyroid hormones which is just essentially tsh and they say oh yes you know you have hypothyroidism you just need to take a levothyroxine or thyroid hormone and that will fix it but nobody ever kind of you know talks about Hashimoto's or why did they get you know this thyroid issue so that's where you know, like the Hashimoto's is a little bit different than a regular thyroid problem,
1: right? But it's one of the top causes for that the thyroid problem, right? So I like to tell my patients it's more of an immune disorder, right? The immune system is attacking the thyroid. We literally are seeing antibodies to your thyroid in your blood, which probably started long before, <laughs> for many mm-hmm. cases, long before the thyroid function actually tanks and patients, you know, become very symptomatic. So with conventional medicine, and I want to talk a little bit about labs here, with conventional medicine, usually hypothyroidism is diagnosed based on a TSH alone. So you go to the doctor, you say, I'm tired, they screen you, they run a TSH, it might be normal, they might say you're fine, or it might be high. If it's high, that's more of a brain hormone. So I tell patients, that's your brain screaming at your thyroid to spit out more (laughs) thyroid hormone. But as a, a late mentor of mine, Joe Collins, once said, which I would never forget, he said, TSH stands for too slow to help. Because by the time the TSH is high, many times the T4 and T3, the most important thyroid hormones are really low and patients are really symptomatic. So it's very important that these patients have a comprehensive thyroid lab screen. Do you want to speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, very important point. You know, as you mentioned, there were several, several of the clients that I see in my practice, you know, um, who have been diagnosed with thyroid disorder, but they never has been checked for you know like Hashimoto's, right And it's so like appalling to me, like how is that possible? So you know as you said, you know conventional medicine, the only you know like thyroid hormone that you need to check for a diagnosis or even management of thyroid dysfunction is just TSH. Which absolutely is not enough, right? Right. Because TSH is just one hormone. And as you said, by the time the TSH is abnormal, you know, we are already at a very, very fairly advanced stage of thyroid dysfunction. So we need to do a complete uh, like a complete comprehensive panel to kind of evaluate the thyroid completely. So then that I kind of divide into like first of all, thyroid hormones. So we need to check a TSH, we need to get, you know, your T3 hormone levels, T4 hormone levels. Total and free and also reverse T3, just to kind of know, you know, where all this stuff is happening. But most of the conventional doctors or endocrine doctors will not even know what reverse T3 is. Um, so that's a different story, right? Which and I want to get
1: the... to. So we'll, we'll come back to that, but keep talking, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the second part is antibodies, right? So check for Hashimoto's antibodies, which again involves like the TPO antibodies and the thyroglobulin antibodies. So those are the two antibodies you like to check. The third part actually I add also inflammatory markers, you know, like you know, HSCRP and ESR, you know, and ferritin levels, just to see like how much inflammation is there. Because again, these labs have never been checked in majority of my clients and they don't know whether they have inflammation or not. So that's where I divide my thyroid testing in these three big categories, like thyroid hormones, you know, antibodies and also inflammation markers.
1: Wonderful. And for those listening, we will put all these labs in the show notes so that you can reflect back and, and know which labs you need to have your doctor check on you. With ferritin, when too high, that is an inflammatory marker, but some patients have low ferritin, which is your iron stores. And iron or ferritin are really required for thyroid hormone production as well. And a lot of my thyroid cases, I have anemic patients, their, their iron and ferritin are low, and we have to optimize those to, to improve thyroid function. Absolutely. But let's go back to reverse T3. So what is reverse T3?
0: Yeah. So um, so we have, like, as I said, you know, we have different kinds of thyroid hormone that our body produces. You know, like to kind of just give you a quick update on anatomy so people can kind of follow along. So, you know, first of all, we have this master gland, which is the pituitary. Okay. That produces the hormone TSH, which goes into your thyroid gland, which tells us to produce the thyroid hormone. And it yep. produces basically T4 hormone, right? And then the T4 hormone needs to be converted into T3, which is your active thyroid hormone. Now, during this process, we also produces what you call as a reverse T3, you know, which basically antagonizes this, you know, T3. Okay. So what I call is that if T3 is your gas pedal, you know, reverse T3 is your brake pedal. Okay. So, you know, like a lot of times, you know, like people come to me saying that, okay, well, you know, like my thyroid numbers look good. I have my T3 is good. T4 is good. Why am I having problem? I said, let's check your reverse T3. And the reverse T3 is super, super high. So basically, even though you have good amount of T3, but you know, the functioning of T3 is hampered because the reverse T3 is too high.
1: That's great. That's the exact analogy I use with my patients. You don't want your brake pedal on and your gas pedal off, right? You don't want to have high reverse T3 or low free T3. So if reverse T3 comes back high, then what do we do? What is that a sign of? What does that tell us?
0: So there are various things, you know, which kind of play a role in kind of having reverse T3 being high. So first of all, I kind of go into the like root cause analysis. Okay, well, what is going on in your body, which is asking your body to make so much reverse T3? So in that situation, sometimes some nutrient deficiencies can do it. You know, um, our poor diet can also play a role. And then third, stress, you know, is a very, very Mm -hmm. important factor, which can also kind of, you know, cause reverse T3 to go high.
1: Wonderful. So maybe, maybe those responses <laughs> answer the next question that I was going to ask you. Like, why do Hashimoto's patients continue to suffer with symptoms and they don't get better? Can you maybe answer that question and start walking us through briefly your treatment protocol for Hashimoto's?
0: Absolutely. So like initially, as I mentioned, like, you know, we are categorizing Hashimoto's in the same category as what you call as low thyroid or hypothyroidism. While Hashimoto's is a total different disease, right? You know, as you mentioned, it's an immune disorder, right? So it's an autoimmune disease. So actually in Hashimoto's, what is happening is these antibodies or autoimmunity in our body, which is destroying not only thyroid, but also an important, you know, another organelle called mitochondria. And because of destruction of thyroid and mitochondria is actually uh, causing people to have all these symptoms of brain fog, of hair loss, of fatigue, you know, weight loss issues, all of that stuff. And we think actually it is because of deficiency of thyroid hormone. So we keep pumping people with thyroid hormone without any relief, while we are not doing anything with the root cause of the problem, which is destruction of thyroid and the mitochondria.
1: So here's where the mitothyroid connection comes in that you talk about.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, So in a biology class, you know, like just we learn only one line about mitochondria, that is the powerhouse of our body, okay, Uh, which is the case. But so, you know, like our body has like like millions of cells, right? And each cell of our body um, has these teeny tiny structures in it, which are called mitochondria. Okay, so these mitochondria are actually required to power our body. So these are basically, again, as as the as the word says, powerhouse. That they are powering our body and giving us energy. Without mitochondria, we will not be there. You know, we cannot function. We cannot live. But the interesting piece is that you know we or we thought uh, like you know ten years ago, twenty years ago, that mitochondria is only involved with energy production. But now, the new research says that mitochondria is involved in many, many more things. It regulates our immune function, you know, it, it, are, it is involved in aging process, you know, it is involved in autoimmunity. So it is involved in so many different things that you know, now there is more and more research coming into it.
1: Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night, and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life, and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium, found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog. And use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I've had previously several guests talk about uh, eating clean to fuel your mitochondria or certain supplements like NAD to fuel your mitochondria or peptides to help with mitochondrial function. So, which I know you're an expert in also. So there are a lot of things that we can do to improve our mitochondria. So what are your top tips for that? You, and you can repeat some of what I, I just mentioned, but <laughs> what, what are your top strategies in your patients to restore that mitothyroid connection?
0: Absolutely. So um, for me, like the top three things which help with, you know, like restoring the mitothyroid connection, the first is the mitothyroid diet that you have. Okay. So food is so important, you know, like it just plays in, in like, you know, a pivotal role in kind of helping our body to heal. So in mitothyroid diet, you know, what I do is that, you know, like I remove first of all foods which are destroying this connection. Okay. So those are the foods which are inflammatory to our body, which is like mainly gluten, dairy, soy, corn, peanuts, uh, sugar, processed meat and processed food, all of those things. So we remove those foods to make sure that we are not doing anything to destroy this connection further. And then we introduce along that, you know, we introduce foods which are healing to thyroid as well as mitochondria. So first category of foods is vegetables. Okay. So the green leafy vegetables and Colorful vegetables. So, so the more color you have in your diet, the better it is. So I always ask my patients is that, you know, make sure at least you have eight colors in your diet every day. Okay. And always make a joke. Make sure they are no, those are not M&Ms. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> because it was an interesting story. Like one of my patients, I told her, like, you know, eat as many colors as you would like. And she's actually, you know, literally started like coloring her food, you know, by artificial colors and eating it, thinking that no. that, that is it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> So that was very funny. Uh, so as I said, green to vegetables and colorful vegetables, that's sure. one thing that we want to do. Uh, the second thing is that good fats. So that's where, you know, we introduce, you know, like uh, your olive oils and avocados, you know, um, and then ghee, um, all of those, you know, good fats in there. Sure. And then uh, fish, fatty fishes, good, you know, good fatty fishes, omega-3s, you know, from them. Um, so that's the source, you know, that we would like to introduce that. Then we reduce the amount of carbohydrates you know in their diet, so that again you know their mitochondria can regenerate and actually can power through that. Um, so we do that also. So those are the kind of you know uh, things that we do. We all obviously introduce a lot of nuts you know and seeds in, in my diet, um, you know because I like the way the body works on those nuts and seeds with them. So that's the first thing that we do, the mitothyroid diet, you know, kind of, you know, introducing all of these things to them and working to rejuvenate their mitochondria and thyroid together. Then the second thing that we do along with this diet, I introduce intermittent fasting. Okay. Uh, Intermittent fasting, you know, wonderful way that rejuvenates the mitochondria, you know, and then lower down the autoimmunity, saves the thyroid gland, reduces, you know, uh, the burden of oxidative stress, kind of, you know, helps to rejuvenate the thyroid that way. That's the second part that I help my clients to introduce that.
1: Can you define what that is too? For for more details, I, I did in, interview Cynthia Thurlow. We had a wonderful lengthy podcast on intermittent fasting that I recommend listeners go back and, and listen to, but briefly tell the listeners what intermittent fasting is.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So like, um, so Again, going back to like 100 years ago, you know, our body is not used to having food 24-7, right? Um, So we had brief periods of, you know, time, maybe like hours or days where we will not have any food, right? And that's the way actually our body was used, you know, was made up that, you know, when we have no food, then, you know, we will use all the fat stored in our body to kind of burn it and kind of, you know, our mitochondria will be able to rejuvenate that way. So intermittent fasting is actually using the same kind of methods to rejuvenate the mitochondria now, because now we are eating 24 seven, you know, like, you know, there is no time that we don't eat, you know, like all the time food is so much available now these days. So in intermittent fasting, we have a span of time where people will not be eating so that they go into that little bit of what we call as a starvation or a ketosis mode, which switches how mitochondria makes energy, because mitochondria can use two kinds of fuel. one is carbohydrates, and one is what we call as fats. okay? So when we go into that starvation or when we go into that ketosis mode, we are using fats to burn, which has a lot of benefits to it. So the typical time, you know when you when or what is needed for this intermittent fasting or the fasting window, is at least 12 to 16 hours, okay? So you need to fast for between 12 to 16 hours. Most of the people will do 16 hours of fasting and eight hour of window where they will eat food, okay? Like it will work for majority of the people, but for some people it is very, very challenging. So I will say that if they can even do 12 hours of fasting, that is also great.
1: Sure. Every single day, do you have patients cycle in and out of that or change the feeding window hours or... Just kind of just every day about 12 to 16 hours.
0: So I'd like to do it 12 to 16 hours because I generally don't go till 16. My clients most of the time do between 12 to 14. And I just have them do it all the time. If somebody's doing 16, then I generally cycle them like for like five days or so and then kind of give them a break for a day or two and then do it again.
1: So to the listeners, that means stop eating right by 7 p.m. or whatever time you choose, and then don't eat for another 12 hours. So you wouldn't eat breakfast until 7 a.m. if you want to do 7 to 7 um, and, and a 12-hour fast or 12-hour feeding window. Or if you can wait till 9 or 11 a.m. to eat, then you're extending that out. So I, th- I would start with 12-hour and then slowly work your way up if you if you can to a longer fasted state.
0: Absolutely. Yes, that's the way to do it. You know, like, again, if you're feeling miserable, then you need to do a shorter window. But if you don't feel miserable, most people actually, I find it that they're, you know, for them, it's easy to do 14 hours to 16 hours. You just need to do it slowly, as you said. Third thing is supplements <laughs> so we all love supplements, but you know like especially for restoring this uh, mitothyroid connection, we yeah. need some supplements. yeah uh, so some of the supplements that are on my list you know are NAD, you know, uh, which you know, as you said, you have already been covered on the show, but NAD is wonderful, you know NAD is a substrate which is basically needed for mitochondria to produce energy, and then as we age, Or, you know, or as our body kind of, you know, goes through a lot of autoimmune processes, you know, our body cannot keep up with producing NAD. And that's the reason, you know, uh, that level decreases. So sometimes we need to, you know, supplement NAD uh, for it to work.
1: What's your favorite Uh, form? I have a sublingual NAD here that I recommend to many patients. What form do you recommend usually?
0: Yeah, I'm actually trying to figure like, you know, um, working with different kinds because every day there is a new NAD which is coming up. And then, you know, like, for, for interestingly for my client, there has not been one that works, you know, for them, but I like the sublingual one too, which, you know, again, works great. Um, that's, you know, uh, that's also the good one.
1: So NAD is one supplement. What are a few others?
0: Uh, so acetyl L-carnitine, you know, that's another one, which kind of powers your mitochondria. Yep. The third one is CoQ10, which is kind of, you know, a very you know, powerful and has been there for a very, very long time. Yep. Um, so again, different versions of CoQ10. Um, the one that I like is MitoQ. Um, you know, I think, you know, that it gives the most benefit to most of my clients. Sure. Um, so that's the third supplement. The fourth is magnesium. You know, um, I feel that magnesium is so powerful in mitochondria and often mist. Uh, yeah. you know, Magnesium doesn't get, you know, the same limelight as all of these others. But I think um, it is very, very powerful and very, very useful.
1: I totally agree. I think some patients say, well, I tried magnesium and it didn't work. Well, what form did you take? How much did you take? When did you take it? There are a lot of questions that I ask, and I myself have even experimented. I get a lot of palpitations and magnesium is helpful, but usually more magnesium is more helpful. (laughs) Some patients need to find that therapeutic dose for them of magnesium. Magnesium is not just important for mitochondria. It's really important for hormone production. It's essential for thyroid hormone production. It's great for sleep. It's just great for everything. So (laughs) most patients do need some magnesium. I want to kind of overlap what you've said with the top supplements for thyroid health also, since we're talking about you know Hashimoto's here. And obviously, supplements for mitochondria are going to influence the thyroid because of this mitothyroid connection that you've talked about. But earlier in the episode, you alluded to T4 converting to either free T3 or reverse T3. And obviously, we want it to convert to free T3. There are some cofactors that are needed for that conversion. So can you talk about What cofactors or what nutrients are needed there and just needed for the thyroid in general? What supplements do you use there?
0: Yeah, so there are good, like a few supplements, you know, uh, which are essential for like optimal functioning of the thyroid. Top of the list for Hashimoto's patients is selenium. Um, Again, wonderful supplement, which helps, you know, a lot of thyroid patients, especially reduces autoimmunity and antibody production. So selenium is number one. Second one is zinc. Um, again, an important, you know, like cofactor, which is needed for conversion from T4 to T3. So that's zinc is the second one. The third one are B vitamins, B for boy. So B vitamins are also needed at different steps for, you know, like thyroid hormone production. Sure. And the fourth one is iron. You know, as you said, a lot of females are anemic, so they don't have enough iron, you know, so I want to make sure that they have enough iron in them. The fifth one is controversial, which is iodine. You know, like there are two different camps of thoughts, you know, like one camp thinks that everybody should get iodine. The other camp thinks, well, iodine might not be that great. I'm in the second camp because the research does say that, you know, very low iodine is also bad and very high iodine is also bad. Mm -hmm. So what I want, uh, what I do for my clients is I check their iodine levels. And if it is like in the upper normal range, I generally just, you know, kind of push for iodine containing foods. I don't give them a supplement. But if their levels are low, then I give a supplement for a short amount of time.
1: I totally agree. I, I've seen iodine really help patients and I've seen it really backfire <laughs> on certain patients. So I feel like there just isn't one blanket rule for its use. We have to assess, like we have to test levels and try it on patients and see what happens. Did their antibodies go down? Did their antibodies go up? I, I mean every patient is different. So I I I like that you you test. Uh, There's also a thyroid adrenal connection. So can you briefly speak to that? Because a lot of my patients come to me saying, oh, I have adrenal fatigue. My chiropractor told me I have adrenal fatigue. I'm really tired. I did the saliva cortisol test. um, And they think just fix me and you're going to fix everything. And it's not always that easy, but we do know (laughs) that the adrenal glands help with thyroid hormone production. They help with sex hormone production. So what's this connection and what can we what can we do about it to improve adrenal health
0: yeah it's a very important question and you know to answer that question what i say is that you know our body is a symphony right you know it's not kind of you know each and every instrument doing its own job it's like all working together to kind of make our body function, you know, optimally. So that's where, you know, like this uh, thyroid and adrenal connection also comes into place. So what are adrenal glands? So adrenal glands are like teeny tiny glands, which are sitting on top of our kidneys, uh, which are very, very important endocrine glands, because they are secreting all these stress hormones like cortisol, you know, your adrenaline and all those things are secreted by our you know adrenal glands. So what happens is that, you know, whenever our body gets stressed out, you know, or feel that it is exposed to any kind of stress, it secretes these hormones to protect our body from, you know, those acute stressors that we might be getting exposed to. Now, these cortisols, again, you know, the way they function is that, you know, um, they go to the thyroid gland, sometimes shut off the production of the thyroid hormone, and also sometimes can interfere with the optimal functioning of the T3 hormone. Now, in reverse, what happens is that the thyroid hormone also controls you know like how cortisol works so again you know like at the cellular level sometimes these thyroid hormones alters how cortisol can make changes so it's kind of a two way connection that is present in thyroid and adrenal glands so now what happens is that you know uh, in acute case when we are exposed to stress you know our cortisol gets secreted that is a good thing because that is a defense mechanism but what happens is that when a body gets exposed to chronic stress then we have chronically elevated cortisol levels and that's where we get into trouble and that's what people talk about adrenal fatigue or kind of you know adrenal dysfunction and that kind of comes along with the thyroid glands too because you know in thyroid disorders like hashimoto's people are going through chronically stress all the time because of those antibodies bodies inflamed right so that's what is happening now what happens is that you know like unfortunately the symptoms of adrenal dysfunction or adrenal fatigue overlap a lot of times with thyroid dysfunction so it's very very difficult to differentiate you know whether patients are adrenal fatigue or whether it is actually thyroid dysfunction so there are some ways you know that you can kind of differentiate you know obviously there are some symptomatic ways and there is also testing ways so uh, so in symptom based you know like uh, if you have adrenal dysfunction um majority of the time the symptoms will be that you know there will be weight gain, but all of this weight gain will be around your abdomen okay so that um, that muffin top or you know like you know the terminology that we use or that you know um, difficult to lose weight around your waist you know that's what you know happens with it. The second thing is most common is that with adrenal dysfunction, people will always be kind of like anxious or wired. That's what I call them. You know, like they will always be have like this underlying anxiety and they will say, I don't know, but I just feel anxious all the time. And that's new for them. Uh, the third thing is that they're fatigued, you know, like, you know, and the fatigue is like, basically they're just wiped out. You know, like, you know, it's just that as soon as they wake up in the morning, they are able to function for a couple of hours. And after that, they are done. So that's a typical story of adrenal fatigue, you know, that they will be just, you know, able to function only for a few hours.
1: Wired and, and tired. Fo- yeah.
0: <laughs> Wire, exactly. Wired and tired. And the fourth thing is skin. So they have very, very fragile skin, you know, like, um, like an old person, you know. I don't want to mention that, but that's the, that's the best analogy I can come up with. It's like, you know, as soon as like they will strike something or somebody will scratch their skin, they will have a big wound. You know, so that's, you know, very, very fragile skin is another sign, you know, of adrenal dysfunction. So those are the top symptoms, you know, I would say that, you know, adrenal dysfunction or adrenal fatigue people will have.
1: I totally agree. I have a lot of patients with low blood pressure. Also, you know, lightheaded and dizzy, very low blood pressure. Uh, So, what do we do? What do we do about that? (laughs) So, how do we treat these? uh, Briefly, how do we treat these (laughs) uh, adrenal cases? What do we do to to help these patients?
0: Yeah. So there are a bunch of things that we can do. Obviously, you know, like, again, for my philosophy is that, okay, well, first figure out that, you know, why we're having this, you know, problem of adrenal fatigue or dysfunction, right? So the first thing is that, okay, well, stress, right? Now, obviously, in the present scenario, stress is everywhere. You know, we are getting exposed to stress. You know, just talk about present COVID situation. It is stressful each and every day because it's changing and nobody knows how long it's going to last. Right. Right. So similarly, we have work related stress, you know, relationship stress, financial stress. So first, I always encourage my patients to develop some de-stress techniques. You know, it can be easily like meditation or deep breathing, you know, like cultivate a hobby or just five minutes of, you know, every day where they just don't do anything. You know, like you will be surprised that, you know, when I tell people that for five minutes, try not to do anything, they say, yeah, that's easy. I said, okay, give it a try. And they'll come (laughs) back and they say, the toughest thing you told me out of all those 10 things was not to do anything for five minutes. I was like, really? You said that would be easy. She said, yeah, but that was very tough.
1: I totally agree. I, I have a lot of patients, especially patients who are just wired and jittery, like you tell them to do nothing because our bodies need downtime. I always tell my patients, our bodies need physical and mental downtime, (laughs) aside from when we're literally sleeping in our beds, like we need downtime during the day. And I'm sure with your, your profession and mine, I mean, we go, go, go all day seeing patients. I'm constantly talking to to patients. I feel like at the end of the day, I'm like, what just happened? Because (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's busy. So we need to honor our body's need for downtime and literally do nothing. And it can be difficult and our mind can wander, but that's so important. I think that's a a very um, underrated important tip. So I, I like that.
0: And the second thing is then I ask them, okay, after like cultivating or tackling the stress piece, then we use something, supplements called adaptogens. So these adaptogens are basically herbal or supplements, you know, which help out, you know, your adrenal fatigue or adrenal dysfunction. So top of my list, first is ashwagandha. The second thing is ginseng. And the third thing is rhodiola. So I think, you know, a combination of these three, like help out like majority of my patients go, you know, like go through this adrenal dysfunction or fatigue easily.
1: Totally agree. I love all of those. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a product called Adrenal Calm, which has those as well as some L-theanine and phosphatidylserine. So my patients who are just jacked up or feel jittery or irritable, who just need, they need help calming their body down, help adapting to the stress. We have the herbs, we have the calming amino acid L-theanine, which is my favorite supplement on earth, and then phosphatidylserine, which is a calming phospholipid, both of which have effects lowering cortisol. So that Adrenal Calm product is just wonderful. That's something that many of my patients need. I agree with you there. Well, that was all very, very helpful. I have to ask what your top longevity tip would be. You gave us a lot of tips today, but what's your absolute top longevity tip?
0: So for me, as I said, magnesium is the key. Um, You know, like there are so many things that we spoke about, but, you know, they said magnesium doesn't get the limelight as it should be um, because, you know, like magnesium is involved in like more than 300 enzymatic processes in our body. So that's like one of the most like, you know, uh, uh, important mineral that our body needs to function. So it is involved in thyroid health. It is also involved in mitochondrial health. The worst part is that, you know, most of the clients are low in magnesium. The reason being our soil is deficient in magnesium. So there was a research study done, you know, which again, you know, checked our soil to see if it has the same, like, you know, mineral quality as like 10 years ago. And it showed that there are several minerals that our soil was low on and magnesium was one of those. So even though, you know, we might be eating the most nutritious diet that, you know, on the earth, but then, then also we might not get enough magnesium. So that's the reason, you know, that's, you know, like an important thing that I always recommend to all of my patients, they that get magnesium, get magnesium, get magnesium. And the, and the the good part is that, you know, it is not toxic. So we have hardly seen any cases, you know, people said, oh, you know, like, you know, as you were mentioning that, you know, to find the right dose for them. So there is no toxicity of magnesium. So you can go on very, very high doses and still it will not bother, you know, most of the people and it will not get toxic, you know, uh, in the body. So then we can use high doses for people who need more.
1: Totally agree. Make sure you are purchasing a high quality supplement though. That doesn't come from China. That's not laced with no things we don't want. Make sure it's very high quality, that it comes from a company that has, that's testing their product for sure, which licensed clinicians like both of us, you know, only recommend. So where uh, where can listeners find you? They want to connect with you.
0: So I have a website, you know, it's, a, it's called AnshulguptaMD.com. Um, so that's where, you know, all of my information is listed. I have a very, very active blog. So every day I'm researching more and more new things about Hashimoto's patients. And I kind of post over there through a blog uh, about different things, you know, at least once a week, you know, I post over there. Um, and then obviously I'm on social media. So people can connect me over there um, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, so I, I do a lot of live videos for people to educate about those.
1: And we'll put all all those links in the show notes, of course. Uh, Lastly, I know you have a free gift for our audience. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So like, um, so I was talking about that, you know, I always want to look at the root causes, you know, of why people have Hashimoto's. So what I kind of figured out was that, you know, why not kind of make a quiz for people to know that what root causes they might be going through. So that's where I prepared like an easy quiz, which can be done like in three or four minutes for, you know, folks. And that will give them idea of what root causes, you know, they might be suffering from or might be the reason for their Hashimoto's. So that's what the free gift, you know, I have for, you know, um, for, uh, for, your show, no, uh, for your show people who can take this, you know, thyroid quiz. And that gives them information about the root causes of their thyroid problem.
1: Wonderful. I'm going to have to take that myself. So we'll post that link in the, mm-hmm. in the show notes. Well, thank you, Dr. Gupta, for coming on the show today, defining Hashimoto's, talking about the mitothyroid connection, what the mitothyroid diet is, what supplements are important. And then just thank you for sharing your story and for giving our patients hope that they can recover and heal from Hashimoto's. It was a joy to have you on. So thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. It was really nice talking to you. And that's my goal to kind of help, you know, so many people out because I want to give hope. Because I was without hope and I had no plan. So I want people to know that they don't have to live this miserable life. There is a better life out there and there is hope.
1: Absolutely. And I would say for listeners, finding a functional medicine provider like ourselves can help you personalize that plan to build your health back. That's what we do. That's what functional medicine is here for. So if you don't have a practitioner, find one.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That concludes another amazing interview. Hashimoto's is so common and patients need to know that options exist to help them recover. Our body is a symphony and Dr. Gupta provided so many tips on keeping that symphony well orchestrated. If you're interested in taking some of the nutrients that Dr. Gupta mentioned, you can find most of them at yourlongevityblueprint.com. We carry high quality magnesium, zinc, selenium, iodine, and even a thyroid support complex, mitochondria complex, and my favorite product for the adrenals, Adrenal Calm. Use code Hashimoto's for 10% off. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.